0: Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class.
1: We All right. Well, speaking of prayer, let's begin by asking God to open our minds, shall we? Father, we thank you for the night that you have given us. Thank you for one another. Thank you that, uh, God, we can be encouraged uh, because of the faith of others, because of the participation of others. Um, God, we are truly grateful for you. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, uh, send your spirit to be our teacher, uh, to teach, teach us what it means to believe, to teach us what it means to have faith, to teach us what it means to live by faith. Uh, Father, we truly are grateful for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray that you would lead us in our study tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I, I promised you that I was going to tell you about my writing. As you can tell, it's, it's not great. Uh, the reason is, uh, let's see, what this is October. So 10 months ago, I just did, yes, thank you. Ten months ago, make sure it's going. Ten months ago, I had a stroke in December. uh, And then in February, uh, apparently I didn't learn enough from the first one, so I had to have another one in February. And the stroke in February left me paralyzed almost completely on my left side. Uh, I had to learn to feed myself again, to walk. And uh, the last thing to come back is my fine dexterity. So things like writing. Uh, I you will find that I that you know when when the when we're at a restaurant and uh, the waitress brings the bill I don't want to take it but it's not because I don't want to pay it's because I don't want to sign the ticket because my handwriting looks like something a three year old would do uh, so that being said uh, if I stumble over a word or if I uh, have trouble writing something on the board uh, it's because of that it's not because you know. Uh, been drinking too much or something like that maybe too much coffee I do drink a lot of coffee but just wanted to give you fair warning about that I have a little bit of paralysis on the left side of my face still and every once in a while certain words give me a little bit of trouble Uh, so hopefully we'll get through that but all right so these are the ideas that you have come up with why God has chosen you because of love to glorify him to be a server uh, faith. Who put faith up here? Okay. How did you mean? Uh, just clarification. To have faith or to be faithful. Which one? Demonstrate. To demonstrate faith. Okay. Uh, to praise Him, to be a caregiver, to be an encourager. Is that a pretty good representation of what you meant to say? Anybody else have something that you thought of, but you just couldn't muster the courage to walk 20 feet and put it on the board? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Okay. What we want to look at tonight is God has chosen. You looked at Abraham last week, right? Is that right? Tell me a little bit about Abraham. Who was Abraham? A man of faith. Okay, he was a man of faith. Hopefully, that's what you learned from Genesis, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, that he is a man of faith. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says that by faith he did some things. Right? Here's one for you. Who was Abraham? before he left Mesopotamia? Abram? Okay. That was his name. But who was he? Why do you have to ask hard questions on a Wednesday night? He was
0: a descendant of Noah.
1: Okay, he was a descendant of Noah. Probably Adam too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Who was he? We don't know a whole lot about him, which gives us indication into what his personality was like. This is a man that was going to be called the friend of God, and yet, prior to God calling him, we know very little about him. Okay? I want you to, as we go through what we studied tonight, keep that percolating under the surface in your mind. Okay? Um. So, in, uh, let, let's look at uh, the first thing we want to look at, and I don't know if you looked at this last week, so if we're reproducing anything, I apologize. Genesis chapter 12. Something very significant in Genesis chapter 12 happens. Anybody got an idea of, of something that happens in Genesis 12 that's pretty important to biblical history? Okay, his first act of faith. I'm using an NIV, and at the, the header on chapter 12, it says, The Call of Abram. What's your say? Well, I was just saying,
0: yeah, and they set out for the land
1: of Okay, land, so okay. Let, let's look at this. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Notice, God steps in to Abram's world and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up and I want you to leave. He doesn't ask. He says, God had said to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to this land that I'm going to show you. What's fascinating is later in the Bible, it's going to say that while Abraham was obeying God, he was believing God that those two acts happen simultaneously. They're happening at the same time. He didn't obey first and then believe. He didn't believe first and then obey. His belief was actually part of his uh, obedience. As a matter of fact, that's what causes Paul to say in the first chapter of Romans that obedience comes from faith. It is drawn out of faith. And notice what else God says to him here. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what does God, in essence, say to Abraham? Leave, and here's what I'm going to do. What's He going to do? He's going to bless him. He's going to bless Abraham or Abram as he's known here. What does Abram have to do to receive this blessing? Just obey? What verse is that in? Where does it say he has to obey?
0: Well, he tells him to go. And then he says, I will
1: make you into a great nation. Is it conditional? See, we put a condition on that. We automatically assume if Abraham didn't go, God wasn't going to bless him, right? That's called conditional covenant. We have some conditional covenants in the Scripture. For instance, later, after this, God is going to give to the nation of Israel a conditional covenant that is called the Ten Commandments or or the Mosaic Law. And it says, if you do this, I'm going to, to give you my righteousness. But in this case, we have what is called an unconditional covenant, uh, where God basically says to Abraham, I'm going to do this. God calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you this covenant. As a matter of fact, when he ratifies the covenant, normally what would happen is each person would bring an animal They would cut the animal, and part of it would get burnt in a sacrifice. But in this case, God brings all the animals. God brings the animals, He cuts them in half, and He's the one that walks in the midst of these animals. And He says, if I do not fulfill this covenant of blessing you, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So in this case, God who comes to Abram uh, when he is Abram, and we don't know a whole lot about him. He chooses Abram. And here's the million-dollar question. Why did he choose Abram? And the next thing we're going to find is that he chooses Abram's son, Isaac. And he chooses Isaac's son, Jacob. And Jacob has... Twelve plus one sons, that's 13, in case you're not good at math. But he only chooses really two that receive the double blessing, and that's Ephraim and Manasseh. And they're not even Jacob's son, are they? They're one of Jacob's son's sons. They're his grandsons. So the question that I would like you to consider as we go through our study tonight is why? Why does God choose people? You see, I think that we oftentimes go through life thinking that God only chooses the capable or those that are lovely, those that are worthy, those that have in mind God's best interest, those that are the, the caregivers, the encouragers, the praisers, those that are faithful, the servers, those that are going to glorify Him. And in reality, I think what we're going to find is God is going to choose whom God is going to choose. Okay? Back to the book of Hebrews. And uh, I will tell you, this, in essence, marks the beginning of what we're going to be looking at. So at any time, if you have a question, comment, feel free to uh, get my attention in some way. Don't throw anything really heavy because I can't move fast. My balance isn't real good, and I don't want to fall here in front of you all and make a fool out of myself. So, Okay? Fair enough? Um, We have talked about God calling Abraham. How does God call Isaac? I want you to think through that story. Think about Abram. Abram was married to who? Abraham was married to whom? Sarah. And how many children did they have? Zero, Zero, two, one. Uh, It's like bad math class in here. (laughs) How many children did they have? One. One. Okay. Uh, Actually, up until a certain time, they had how many? I think you said zero. They had no children, right? And it was about when Abraham was 100 years old, And Sarah was 90 years old. Now, just picture that, if you will imagine. I I really hope when we get to heaven there's movies. Because can you imagine working with a walker and a stroller at the same time? 90 years old. uh, and Abraham's 100 years old when he has this child. So, we call Isaac the child of the what? The promise. Why do we call him that? God promised Abraham he was going to have children. Okay? Now I want you to think about this covenant that we just read. He said, I will bless you and I'm going to cause all people to be blessed through you. Later, he uh, reissues the covenant and he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now, if you have zero children, how good of a nation can you become? Not very good, huh? So God comes to Abraham and he says, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to give you children and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And here's Abraham at 100 years old. Can you imagine maybe at some point Abraham saying, you know, God, maybe we got to get started on this child thing. I mean, I am 100. It's not like I'm a spring chicken. So God was going to... uh, through the covenant, supply Abraham with a son. And that son becomes the son of the promise, which is Isaac. Uh, It's not Ishmael over here. Where's Ishmael come from? Servant girl. girl. And uh, from the will of man or the will of God? The will of man, man, right? Abraham begins to take matters into, into his own hand. As a matter of fact... Paul in the New Testament tells us that Ishmael represents the, the child of the slaves. Uh, he, he was a child of Hagar, the, the, the slave woman, and obviously goes on to have a very fruitful life and has uh, offspring. And to this day, we are still dealing with the Isaac-Ishmael problem. Uh, we can talk about that another time. Uh, Isaac, how many children does Isaac have? Prominent. How many prominent children does Isaac have? Two. What are their names? Jacob and Esau. Which one comes first? Esau. Esau comes first. Esau is the oldest. So under Jewish law, which one should receive the blessing? Esau. Why doesn't Esau receive the blessing? Because God said the younger will be served by the older. Romans tells us that he chose Jacob while they were still in the womb, not Esau. We like to think that it was Jacob and Rebekah's deceit that caused this, but in reality it wasn't, was it? It was the plan of God all along. So again, I come back to the question, why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? Why? Why? We continually keep coming back to this question. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did God choose Isaac? Why did God choose Jacob? Why does God eventually bless Ephraim and Manasseh? Let's, let's look at the, uh, at the passage, see what it has to say. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is read uh, the verses that we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. Uh, excuse yeah, twenty through twenty-two. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worship as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and gave instructions about his bones. Another question that I would like for you to consider, what happens when faith meets our failure? What happens when faith, our faith, meets our failures? You know, we've, we've talked about these as individuals, as men. Let's talk about them just for a minute in, in regard to their moral character, if I can say it that way. Um, Let's start with the really, really obvious one. Um, Jacob, we've already talked about kind of uh, what he was like. Jacob is known as a uh, a wonderful truth-telling man, right? He'd make a great politician, wouldn't he? He'd fit right in in Washington, D.C. He he is a deceiver. As a matter of fact, he learned it from his mother. His mother's the one that set that up and said, hey, I have I got a deal for you? Here's what we're going to do. Can you imagine him going to get the goats thinking, why am I getting goats? And how is this going to work? I know you're going to have me uh, make some kind of stew. So so Jacob, probably not the, uh, he lives in fear of his brother almost his whole life. Jacob lives in fear of Esau almost his whole life. How about Isaac? What's Isaac like? Is Isaac a good guy? He's, mama's boy. He's a mama's boy. He's a liar. He's a liar. How so? Uh, he lied to uh, Pharaoh or the about his wife. Yep. He does the exact same. And where did he learn that from? Remember. Abraham goes to a place and he's afraid that they're going to look upon his wife and they're going to uh, kill him in order to get his wife, right? And so he says, hey, tell them you're my sister. He'd fit right in Washington too. So we have liar, liar, deceiver. Why did God choose these men? My question to you again, what happens when our faith meets our failure. You see, it's not because of our righteousness that God chooses us. It's not because we are whole. It is to make us whole, right? It is in order to make us righteous. And so many times in our life, we live our lives thinking that, okay, God saved me. God got me into the kingdom. Now I just have to keep myself here. I just got to keep myself from stepping outside the line. I just got to keep myself in the right We couldn't get ourselves in there in the first place. What makes us think we can keep ourselves there? Notice in every single one of these cases in Hebrews, the first two words are by faith. By faith, Noah. By faith, as a matter of fact, let's go back and look at a couple of these uh, things. Turn back to chapter 10 for a moment. Uh, I am a big believer that if you do not understand the context of a given passage, you cannot understand the passage. And that is why uh, my Sunday morning class will tell you we labor over the details. We labor over words, individual words, phrases, in in order to understand. What we're going to try and do here is get a broad context of what's going on. The book of Hebrews was written... Uh, we don't know who the author is. Some say Luke, some say Paul. Uh, both are pretty good, uh, probably pretty good candidates. I think it might have been Theophilus. Uh, the, the person that Luke wrote to might have been him. Uh, as, as the name of the book suggests, who was the book written to? The book of Hebrews. Who was it written to? The Jews. the Jews. Just any old Jew? Probably not Old Testament Jews, but believing Jews in the New Testament. Today we would call them Messianic Jews. In other words, they kept their Judaism, their faith. They, they continued to practice the law, those kinds of things. But they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They believed that his death represented a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So we call these people uh, Messianic Jews. Uh, they they are believers in every sense that you and I are a believer but they're very familiar with the sacrificial system. That's why when you read in the book of Hebrews it talks about a priest, a high priest a lot because they understood that system. It talks about the elements that were contained within the sacrificial system. Okay, You come to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and the author is saying that the difference between Judaism and Christianity is that in Judaism, you had to keep going back to the altar, right? Every year, day of atonement comes how many times a year? One time a year? Every year, right? Every year, the priest has to go back and sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the author of of Hebrews says, that's not the case with our Savior, once and for all, he made that sacrifice that was effective for all mankind forever. Okay? And he's in this sort of vein, in this thought process, as he's going through Hebrews chapter 10, and you come to verse 19, and it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, notice the reference here to the, to the, the, uh, the dwelling place of God the holy place. That is a distinct Jewish phrase that as Gentiles, most of us in this room are probably Gentiles. We don't understand what it means. But if you were a Jew and you heard the holy place, you know exactly what that means. It is the place where the altar dwelt that God resided on. The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant dwelt there and God dwelt above it in his glory. So he says, since we have confidence to enter that place, to enter the dwelling place of God by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, notice again, the reference to the high priest here, the idea that it is a a, a priest that is above all priests. He is the high priest. He gives us... uh, some bossy things to do here, if you will. And they all start with the two words, let us. Not what we make a salad out of, but two words, let and us, okay? Not let us, let us. Let us. That's hard to say, slowly. Let us. Okay, Uh, verse 22 is the first one. You might want to mark these in your Bible. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Jump down to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good deeds, towards love and good deeds. Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you have all these these bossy words that uh, the author is sharing. And then jump down to verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. What's he talking about? Don't throw away your confidence. What is our confidence based on in Hebrews? I know we haven't studied this uh, a lot, but uh, <coughs> hopefully you are fairly familiar with the book. What is our confidence? It goes all the way. Okay, our sins are forgiven. It goes all the way back to verse 19. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, because we have confidence entering into the presence of God, don't throw away that confidence. Apparently, the Hebrews were very quick to want to cha- take the thing that was most precious and most appealing to them that confidence to come before God without anybody in between and they were just willing to throw it away they were willing to get rid of it how were they doing that anybody know you got to be a bit of a New Testament scholar to understand this you have to know certain other things that are going on in the New Testament if I say the name Judaizers does that mean anything to you Pharisees So what were the Jewish believers of the early church doing that was causing them to throw away their confidence? Wanting to, go back to the law. Wanting to go back to the sacrificial system of the law. They had turned from the law and have found hope in Jesus Christ, but now they were thinking, well, maybe this isn't the way. Maybe I ought to go this way. And the author of Hebrews comes to chapter 11, and he says, I want to show you how your forefathers, your ancestors, lived by faith. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you looked at this or not, verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, Verse 6 tells us this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You mean to tell me that if I don't have faith, I can't be accepted by God? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's pretty much saying faith is the only way to understand who God is and the only way to enter into that most holy place. And then he goes on and he says, I'm going to give you multiple examples of how the the children of Israel, particularly the the heroes of your, your family, how they lived by faith. So every single one of these examples in Hebrews chapter 11 starts with the two words, by faith. They didn't just do it. It's not that Abraham offered Isaac just being obediently. He did it by faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to do something by faith? I'm going to sit in this chair by faith, right?
0: If you do not question who built the chair. You the fact that it will hold
1: you. Okay? I don't question who built the chair. I'm just going to sit in it because it will hold me. Okay? Confidence? Confidence? I want to give you another definition for faith. Faith is submission to the truth. It is understanding the truth and then submitting, ordering your life as though the truth is true. Notice what uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Anybody that comes to God has to come to Him uh, in faith And in order to do so, you have to believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of those that seek Him. So back to your definition, I just have to believe that the person who made the chair, or in this case, made me, knows me, understands me. I have to believe that He is the Creator, that I am here not by random circumstance or random happenstance, but I am here for a purpose, for a reason. Okay? Secondly, it is submission to the truth. That is, that because of the sin of Adam, I am considered guilty. That is the biggest thing uh, most people struggle with when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Is why should I be held accountable for something that somebody did eons ago and I had nothing to do with it? It's unfair, isn't it? It's not right. The fact that we begin to say it's unfair shows that we are created by God who is just and we have his imprint on our lives to where we understand what justice is and it's not fair that he would have to come into this world to save one person, let alone all of us. Faith, then, is submission to the truth. It is submitting to the biblical truth that is laid out before us from Genesis to Revelation. And in this case, the author of Hebrews is sharing for us the individual lives of certain people. And in our case, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and others. And notice what he says, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Hmm. The the predominant phrase there is in regard to their future. By faith, Isaac agreed with the future that God had for those two boys. By faith, Isaac said, okay, God, you want Jacob and you want to leave behind Esau even though Esau's mine. He's my boy. I've raised him. You know, we, we've thrown the football together. We go hunting together Uh We do all these things together, but you want Jacob. He's a mama's boy. He's a liar. You want him. Okay. It is by faith that Isaac does that. Now, in the specific context of Hebrews 11, what does it mean by faith here? Keep in mind that when I said the key phrase or the predominant phrase here is in regard to their future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he was agreeing with God. He was submitting to the, to the revealed truth of God, which was that Jacob was going to be the chosen one. And then he ordered his life according to that truth. Did he not? So by faith, he said, I believe that what is coming in the future, the covenant, that you're going to make a great nation and you're going to use somehow use Jacob the deceiver. Jacob, the mama's boy. Somehow you're going to use this one in order to, to, to do this, to pull this off. Okay? It, it could be said, though, that
0: he didn't really totally do so because he was going to bless Esau. It was through the deception that he blessed Jacob. But you stuck with it. It was just words. Yes. Could he have pulled it back? What do you think?
1: Could he have? Could he have pulled it back? Actually, he can. If it was proven to be by deceit, he could have pulled back. You'll notice this when it comes to uh, Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. He reaches out his hands, and his hands are crossed. and And uh, Joseph wants to uncross them and, and mix it up, and he says, "Uh." Uh-uh. Over and over again, we have this idea that it is by faith that this happens. And struggling with this week, trying to figure out how do we understand in our day and age what it means to live by faith. It is that the, the patriarchs had this forward-looking thing that regardless of what was going on around them or behind them, they were constantly focused on the future. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says they were continually looking forward to a city whose foundations and maker was God. They were looking for the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant that he had originally promised to Abraham. And that was the only thing that that drove their life. It was the ultimate thing that they constantly came to. There's a uh, couple of uh, words that are used in here. One, uh, when it says that uh, this word blessing in Hebrews chapter 11 is the word eulogio. Sounds a lot like eulogy because we get our word eulogy from it. What's interesting is in our case we have the living blessing the dead. In the case of Hebrews, it is the almost dead blessing the living. Pretty fascinating to me. These individuals, it's said that they were all near death when they were blessing these individuals, when they were passing on this this honoring, this bowing. The word literally means to bow before. And they were saying... I'm done. My race is over. I'm passing on the future of the covenant, of the fulfillment of the covenant to you. And I'm entrusting it to you because God said to entrust it to you. So let's come back to this question before we get to us. Let's answer this question. Why did God choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why did God choose those individuals? They really were not worthy to be chosen from a human perspective. They really were not uh, the type of people that maybe we would expect to have been chosen to be the carriers of the promise. So why did God choose them?
0: He had a plan from the very beginning. Okay. And this was his plan. He could have chosen me. Mm -hmm. Okay. But God had a plan. Yes, that God actually spoke to these
1: people. Mm-hmm. He didn't. It wasn't always in a dream. He spoke to them. Yeah. So they had the assurance from day one, and then if they said no. Uh, what do we call this thing here? The word. Jesus. Where did it come from?
0: <clears throat>
1: what? God. Came from God. Literally it. Passed through the mouth of God. God breathed. This is just as authoritative as God coming down and saying, Pick up, leave your country, leave your family, and go. Wow. Why don't we give this more reverence then? Why do, and, and I don't mean, you know, making sure it's not dusty or, or there's not a coffee cup. Sitting on it, you can see. I kind of abuse my Bible. I bend it. I do all kinds of things with it, but I have a great deal of reverence for this because of who whose word it is. It is the very word of God. So, why did God choose these people? God always seemed
0: to have a uh, knack for picking people you wouldn't expect, or people that were the opposite of what you wanted at at the time. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. throughout, anyone that he picked, Britain, they have. Mm-hmm. They're all people you would not expect God would choose, but then he chose them, and they became something great, or they were chosen in the lineage of Christ, or they became some prominent figure as we read,
1: as we read about. It. Okay, so he tends to choose the unspectacular, perhaps so that we don't get caught up in the person, but we get caught up. Uh, you know, I I heard this I. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite uh, preachers. I don't know if you guys know who Chuck Swindoll is. Uh, but he has a way of coining a phrase. You know what I mean? And his laugh is very infectious. And so I listen to him when I walk. Uh, just that way you forget about the pain and all that. And you just keep walking. You're just listening. But he, he's going through a, a character study on, the, on Abraham right now. And he said this. This study is not about the man of God. It's about the God of the man. And I thought about that as I was sitting in my office, and I thought, how true is that? The, the the biblical stories are not to teach us about the men. They are to teach us about the God who is behind the man. Right? So why? So we have one idea here that he chose them because they were unspectacular, because we wouldn't get caught up in who they were. We wouldn't get caught up in their abilities or their inability or anything like that. Okay, good point. What else?
0: Could it be to show His grace and mercy?
1: To show His grace and mercy? You want to expound on that? Maybe. Okay. Okay.
0: Throughout the Old
1: Testament, God is referencing people showing who Christ is and yep. who He will be. Yep. Okay. The reason I ask you, because there were two ways that that could have gone, and I wanted to know which way. So, simply to show that He is a gracious God, like Jonah, that He is merciful. Then you have this other issue in Romans chapter 9, where it says, I chose Jacob, because I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. The, the, the clay doesn't say to the potter, Why did you make me uh, as a pot? Uh, and literally, the word is, Why'd you make me as a chamber pot? You know, why couldn't I be a nice cooking vessel or something instead? Uh, I, I got a pretty nasty job here. Uh, so, to display his grace and mercy, what else? Any other thoughts? Any other reasons? Well, none of us are perfect, so we can relate more to people that make Okay, examples, which is excellent. Deduction from the book of Hebrews, the, the whole reason that Hebrews is in here is to give examples from their history as to why they should walk by faith as an example. I think there's another reason.
0: Is, is there any merit some of these people who are not the normal, cultural, intended people who would normally get things? Okay. They're the second born, not the first born. Okay. And, you know, isn't Christ referred to as the
1: second Adam? Yep. The... I think it's the... I'm going off my memory here, and it's not as good as it used to be. I think the third most most uh, used phrase by Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, "The last shall be first, and the first shall be last." So you could be onto to something. Somebody else? Yes.
0: So I think the answer is it, it's his will. Okay? And he can do what he
1: wants.: It's his will. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants. He created us. It's his show.
0: Yes? He chose the most unlikely.
1: He chose the most teachable. Okay?
0: And who's doing it?
1: God. Okay? Good point.
0: I'm kind of going along, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if he had picked really righteous people, then when we're reading these stories, how would we think we could ever do it? Yeah. He's only picking the best. Yeah.
1: And we're all sinners. Here's where I think the answer lies. It has nothing to do with any of these individuals. It has everything to do with this person. Let me take you to a place and show you what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 7. De- Deuteronomy chapter 7. I don't know if when you guys if you were in church when you were younger we used to have these things called sword drills. You guys know what I'm talking about where you just turn all of different That's kind of how it is when I teach, sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He's reciting to them in the book of Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments, the the Mosaic Law. And and he says, the first thing he says, here's Moses saying, quoting from God, you're a holy people to God. What does that mean? What's a holy people? Set apart? apart? Unique? Okay. You are a holy people, a, a people that has been set apart for me. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. Ah, we might get an answer here. Here He says, I have chosen you, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be my treasured possession... Verse 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I loved you and I made you a promise. And the promise is, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all peoples through you. This covenant becomes the driving force behind 95% of everything that God does with the the Jewish people. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. It is incredibly important in in, uh, the biblical history of the nation, of what he is doing. That's why when Jesus comes and he, he weeps over the nation because his heart is broken, because this is the people of God that God has set apart. God has chosen. He has called them out of everyday life. He called Abraham from Mesopotamia. He called uh, Isaac from his life. All of these things, he's calling them. And in the end, who is it that is going to be responsible for accomplishing what the promise is. What's that? Okay. A little less specifically, Jesus as a member of the Godhead, but it's God the Father who is responsible for for bringing this to completion, right? God sets the agenda. God delivers the plan. Jesus carries out the plan. The Holy Spirit supports the plan. And in this case, God says, I'm going I'm to choose this guy over here, Abraham. Why? Doesn't matter. He's God. He chose him. <clears throat> right? Basically, that in reality is what it is. And, he, and he, in that calling, he calls Abraham to trust him, to live by faith. He says, I'm going to take Isaac instead of Ishmael because Isaac is the child that I have promised to you. And it's going to be the child of the promise that is going to fulfill the covenant. He chooses Jacob because He chose Jacob. That's the reason. Because He is God. Why did He choose me and you? Because He is God. We are His treasured possession. It is because He has loved us with an everlasting love to do all of this, all of this, was to bring about one child of the promise, and that was the one that is, that is born. We celebrate his birth at Christmas time, Jesus. The calling of a nation so that it, that nation could bring forth the Messiah. I want to leave you with uh, two final thoughts, and uh, then we'll have a little bit of time uh, for discussion. Faith is focused. On the hope of the future. It always rests on the promises of God as though they were already achieved. You know, as we walk by faith, what is the promise that's held out before you and I? It's not for a city. It's not to become a great nation. It's not to be blessed. What's the hope? What's the promise that's held out before us? Okay, see Jesus eternal life. Any other thoughts? How about righteousness? You ever get sick of living with your own self? Anybody ever gotten there? Let me... I told you earlier about uh, my stroke. And I... Or strokes. And I, I use that as an example of what it's like living with sin. When a part of your body is paralyzed, you know, you want so much... To make it move and you can't or it would move erratically i i would want to go this way and my arm was going this way and i couldn't run Um uh, and, and that idea of wanting to do something what does paul say in romans chapter 8 romans chapter 7 the thing that i wanted to do i didn't do it was these things that i that i didn't want to do that i found myself constantly doing Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And he gives an answer. He says, Jesus Christ will. Righteousness is the hope that is held out before us. That one day you and I will live not as we do now. Our life with God is not going to be anything like it is now. It is going to be free from the pursuits that we have internally within us. From the control of sin in our life from the control of death, from the control of selfishness. You ever get selfish? We will be free from that. And to live by faith means looking forward to that and hoping in that so that these things that are around us become less and less. There's an old hymn that says, The things of earth have become strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Now I challenge you, is that true in your life? Or are the things of this life becoming fancier and fancier for you? You see, when you live by faith, this life becomes less. It allows you to say with Paul, if I live, it's great. If I die, it's gain. How many Christians do you know that live with that? I mean, they live like that's their reality. I don't know very many. In the few that I do, I want to be around a lot. Because that is the hope to which we are called. Okay, The idea of living by faith is that we become less and less attached to this world. The constraints of this world. Uh, it allows us when the doctor says uh, cancer, our heart doesn't immediately sink. Why? Because we know that this is not our home. There will be a time when we will be free from disease and all tear will be dried when our heart gives out, right, Jack? And we're scared to death. <laughs> um, I got a blood test back today. I have to have regular blood test checkups, and they think I might be di- or at least pre diabetic. And of course, I'm trying everything I can to not be diabetic. Um, so, anyways, to make a long story short, I get the blood test, and you know, it was like exam day. Y- you know what I'm talking about? The day that the test comes. And you've, you've taken the test, and now you get to see, how did I do? Only problem, you can't study for this test. You just go in there and get the blood drawn and hope. God, I, I hope. I, I mean, I've eaten all these salads. I hope it's for nothing. Uh, but I, I got it back, and my, my levels were elevated a little bit. I mean, they're not bad. They're, they're 110. But this is the second time in a row. The doctor called and said, well, yeah, we've got to call you pre-diabetic now. That's not what I wanted to hear. It's not a cancer diagnosis. I, you know, he's still... He, so the long story is, if you would lose some weight, Mike, you know, I, I pay him all this money for him to tell me I'm fat. Uh, <laughs> if you would lose the weight, we think that that, that problem's going to go away. My point in all of this is... As you stand in your faith journey, looking forward to the future, are you spending more time looking at those things around you? Are you looking forward to the hope that awaits you in glory? Because I will tell you that these things become less and less important as you look to that ultimate graduation. And sometimes as Christians, we get told, well, that's a nice platitude, you know, that's really it. No, that's the reality. That's what it means to live by faith. That's what these guys in Hebrews 11, guys and men and women were doing. By faith, they were looking forward to the thing that was promised to them and losing sight of what was around them. So my first thought, faith is focused on the hope of the future. It rests on the promises of God as though they are already achieved. Second, faith considers God's ability to fulfill His promises and not our ability to complete them. I ask you the question at the beginning, what happens when uh, our faith meets our failures? <clears throat> if you've been a believer for any length of time, I guarantee your faith has met your failures. At some point, you have found yourself wanting in some way. You have seen some selfishness. You have seen some response that isn't uh, characteristic of something that the Spirit of God would produce in you. And you said, ooh, I don't like that or to make matters really bad, if this has happened to me, where you did it and you were walking along in this path for so long that somebody had to come in front of you and say, hey, you got to quit that. You're not acting at all like a person who is a believer. And I had to be confronted with the truth of my own behavior. That's not very pleasant. But faith looks at God's ability to fulfill these promises, God is the one that said he is going to save us. God is the one that said he 's going to take us into eternity. God is the one who said, I am going to produce in you i 'm going to reveal to you a righteousness that hasn't been made known God's the one that said he was going to do that and many times as Christians you you know I said this earlier, we think that God has to get us in the in the in the the saved basket, and then we have to keep ourselves here, right? Well, if we weren't strong enough to get ourselves in the basket, how in the world are we going to be strong enough to keep ourselves in there? It is a belief in the ability that what God started here, He's going to finish out there. And that is the one thing that the individuals written about in Hebrews chapter 11 understood more than anything. In spite of the failure of Abraham being a liar and Isaac being a liar and Jacob being a deceiver, they understood that the promise that God laid out in front of them was something that he was going to bring about. That's why they didn't sweat the details when he chose somebody other than they thought. When, when, when their world was shuffled a little bit, it was, it was kind of chaotic. They didn't sweat the details because they knew that ultimately God was going to bring about what He promised. My question to you tonight is, are you resting in that? Are you fully resting in God's ability to complete what He started, or do you think you've got to do it? Because let me tell you, that gets old, that gets tiring When you were trying to keep yourself righteous gets tiring. However, when you allow the Spirit of God to search you and you allow the truth of God to search you and read you the way that this book can, it will reveal your motivation, it will reveal your heart, and He will transform you. According to Romans chapter 12, He will transform you to the very core of who you are so that you will be like Him. That's good news. That is gospeling. That is living out the reality of the gospel in spite of ourselves. You know, I'm still the same miserable sinner I was 25, 30 years ago. What's different? God is still the same faithful individual that he was 25 millennia ago, long before human beings were ever here. Amen? Thank
0: you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online
1: at ccochurch.com.